Our scripture passage today is from the gospel according to Luke. It's chapter 1, verses 39 to 55. And before I read this, I want to introduce it to you a little bit. Uh, this is a, a part of our Christmas story, or rather a part of our Advent story. It's a story after Mary was told uh, that she would bear the Son of God. So she's been already, already being announced to her, and so she's going to go visit her cousin, who is Elizabeth. Now, her, her cousin Elizabeth is, is much older than Mary. It says uh, earlier in the Bible that she was advanced in years. Now, we don't know exactly how old advanced in years is. It's just a lot older than Mary. Mary, at this time, was a teenager. Uh, when, when she first was con- conceived by the Holy Spirit. And so she's a teenager, and she's going to go visit her cousin Elizabeth. Now, Elizabeth, although she was advanced in years, um, she and her husband had had no children. Uh, but she also was encountering a miraculous birth because she was found also to be with child. And her child was going to be the, the prophet John the Baptist, who was the precursor and the forerunner of Jesus Christ. And so uh, in this passage today, it is Mary has just found out uh, that, that she is pregnant with the Holy Spirit. Um, Elizabeth knows that she's about to give birth in her advanced years. And Mary goes to see her cousin. And this is the encounter between Mary and Elizabeth that we get in Scripture. Um, but before we read that, let us pause for a moment in a word of prayer. Gracious and heavenly Father, Lord, who inspires all things good as you have inspired this good and wonderful season that we celebrate. Lord, we come before the word that you have given us. Lord, the word that you have revealed in language and words that we can understand. But Lord, even in this, we know that we can understand none of these things unless your spirit teaches us. Unless your spirit instructs us that as we read, we may know your revealed will. Lord, we pray that you bless now this holy reading of your holy word. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This is the gospel according to Luke, chapter 1, verses 39 to 55. Listen now to the word of the Lord. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country, to a town in Judah, And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold... From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. 
He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, for, uh, for about 10 years, I was a uh, chaplain with hospice. And uh, being a chaplain with hospice, you have a lot of opportunities. And one of the opportunities you get more than anything else is the opportunity to go to a lot of funerals. So in my 10 years, I went to a lot of funerals. And the thing is that funerals, if you go to enough of them, you get to meet a diversity of people, especially in hospice. I mean, you get to meet all kinds of people, people from every age, from every race, from every religion, from every thought, every way they worship. You meet a whole bunch of different people, rich and poor alike, everybody. There's one funeral in particular I remember. It was a funeral that was filled with politicians. Now, the guy that had, had died was, was a lobbyist, and he had obviously made a lot of friends with politicians. And this was a big church, and it was full and it was full of politicians. Some I recognized, some I didn't even know, but you just know they were politicians. Most of them, local politicians. And it was <clears throat> the strangest thing when, when they were talking to me afterwards, because I got a chance to speak at the funeral, and then when they saw me afterwards, as you do sometimes, they'll come up and say something to me about what things that I said. And it was a unique experience with a politician. And this could be just in my head, okay? It could all be my imagination. But I got the feeling that they really weren't looking at me. They were kind of almost looking through me. And I, I give an example of what I mean is, is they were, they would, almost all of them would ask me, they would say, so, so what church are you with? What church are you a pastor? And then when they found out that I was not the church of a pastor, but instead a lowly and humble chaplain, they seemed to lose interest in me completely. It was like I was being evaluated almost immediately for what benefit I could bring and then once determined that I could bring little or no benefit at all, then interest was lost in me completely. Like I said, this could just be my imagination. Okay, I really could be imagining it, but it really was a very different encounter than I'd had to any other funerals that I had ever done before. See, the thing is, is if, if power and influence are your God. If power and influence are the things that you worship, then it will end up ordering the rest of your life. Everything you do in life, everything you say, everything about your life is going to be ordered with that one goal of gaining as much power and influence as possible. And that's true about everything we worship. And see, this is the thing about worship. Whatever you worship is going to order your life. What you worship is going to order your life. You will order your life. You'll arrange things in your life based on what it is you value most, based on what it is you love chiefly and supremely. Your life is going to be arranged around what it is you worship. 
St. Augustine said it like this. He said, whatever thy heart clings to, that is surely thy God. And of course, Jesus said it best when he said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Whatever it is you value the most, there your heart is going to be also. What you love and adore above all else is what you worship. And what you worship is what rules your life. Think of it like a mission statement. Right? We've all been a part of a company, an organization that has a mission statement. You know, This is our mission to bring quality service to all of our customers. And you make it a mission statement, then everything you do centers around that mission statement. The mission statement shapes the rest of the activities of that company. Well, what you worship is your mission statement. What you worship is the mission statement in your life. It shapes and orders the rest of your life. These are your values. The chief value is what you worship and everything else is done to serve that chief value. Take power, for instance. If, if you do worship power, everything you do is going to be directed with the one goal of gaining more power and influence. It directs your life. What school am I going to go to? Well, what school gives me the most influence? That's the school I want to go to. That's the school I want to send my kids to. That's going to determine what kind of job I get. That's going to determine the things I wear. That's going to determine the way I speak. It's going to determine my friends. Are you a person that can gain me more power and influence? Well, yeah, well, we'll, get, we'll be friends. If not, maybe acquaintances. You even hear about uh, political marriages still. I hear about this quite a bit, that some people get married to a person that they know will help advance their political career. And that's the person that they decide to marry. It's because it's their God. It's what they worship, and it orders the rest of their life. Now, thankfully, I don't know too many people, at least anybody I know, that orders their life based around power and influence. I think those people are, are few and far between, thankfully. But what we might find more frequently in our society is those who order their life around social media influence. And that's another God that we worship quite frequently today. It's the God of popularity and the God of fame. And you see those who get involved in it enough where their whole life becomes directed by what will give me the best post on the internet. What in my life, what, what will give me the right opportunity to have the, the best picture on Instagram or Facebook or, or, or whatever the, the, the popular social media platform is today? And they'll even think, well, where do you want to go on vacation? Where can we get the best pictures for Instagram? That's where we want to go on vacation. What's going to make everybody else jealous of me and my life? That's where we're going to go on vacation. There's a comedian that, uh, there's a Christian comedian that uh, he said he was writing a book about how women could get the best Instagram post with their devotions. Because that was the point of having a devotion, right? Is to let everybody online know that you're having a devotion. And so you've got to get the right Instagram post for your devotion. You've got to have your Bibles in the right way. You've got to have your coffee cup. And the coffee's got to say something about loving Jesus and coffee, you know, on the cup. And you've got to have a healthy snack like kale chips right there in the picture as well. And, and your notebook's got to be a cute notebook. 
you know, with something from Proverbs on the top like that. Because what's the point in doing a devotion unless you can get a great picture out of it, right? See, what you worship, what you love, where your heart is, these are the things that order our life. This is what gives you direction or you look for for direction in your life. Now this Christmas we've decided to engage in what we call or what is called the Advent Conspiracy. And this is the conspiracy to put Christ back in Christmas. Now the first step to putting Christ back in Christmas is that we've got to step back from all these other idols that we have made. We've got to step back from everything else that we worship uh, at this season and worship Christ alone. The first step of putting Christ back in Christmas is to worship Him fully because what you worship will order the rest of your life. So if Christ is going to be in Christmas, then it must be Christ that we worship. If Christ is going to be in Christmas, then we've got to make this season about Jesus Christ. And that means more than just showing up in church. Although, I'm not going to say it's not an important step. It's a very important step. I'm glad you're showing up here in church. But it's being intentional about your worship. It's about filling your life with worship. It's about making your life your worship. We find a great model of this uh, with Mary and Elizabeth, this scripture that I read to you today. Because here, here we have Elizabeth who, who is who's got a miraculous pregnancy of her own, or not, not quite as miraculous as Mary's. It, you know, she's married. It came about in somewhat natural ways. But we're told that she's advanced in years, that she had not had a child, that she was well past childbearing years, and now she finds herself with a child who's going to be a prophet, who's going to be a forerunner of Christ. And her cousin Mary comes to visit her. And, and here you have a teenage girl visiting an elder woman, a woman who was very much her elder. And in this culture, the younger is always supposed to grant respect to the elder. But as soon as Mary speaks a word in Elizabeth's house, he says the baby in her womb leaps for joy. Because John the Baptist has been made for this one purpose, and that's to announce the coming of Christ. And so the baby basically just hears, and he knows that Jesus is near, and so he reacts to it naturally, and, and Elizabeth feels it. And it says immediately she's filled with this Holy Spirit. Because here John and, and, and Jesus coming close together, their destinies intertwine, and they're, and they're coming close for the first time. And John is leaping for joy inside the womb of his mother. And Elizabeth, instead of receiving honor from Mary, she honors Mary. And she says, what is this that the mother of my Lord should come to visit me. So what have I done to receive this blessing? And this is like an older woman, like, you know, 67 years old, saying this to a teenage girl. A girl who may be as young as 14. And she's laying this honor out before and saying, what are you coming and bringing me this honor for? And Mary reacts the way that we all should react whenever honor and praise comes our way. She just takes that praise and she brings it where it belongs. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord. So I worship the Lord. He's the one that gets the credit. 
He is the one that gets the fame. He is the one that gets all the accolades for this. And she does this because God is central in her life. And because he's central in her life, he begins to order the rest of her life. So even when she is being honored, even when she's being praised, all she can do is now return and give the glory to God where it belongs. And then she gives us this beautiful example of what it means to worship God. It's magnifying the Lord. We worship God, we magnify the Lord. See, when you worship something, you make it bigger in your life. Just like when you magnify something, you make it bigger. Now, of course, we can't make God any bigger. God's eternal. We can't make him bigger than he already is. But we can make him bigger in our life. We still can yet magnify the Lord. And this Christmas, we can magnify Christ. We can make him a bigger part of our holiday. Now, of course, a big part of magnifying something and worshiping is, is the praise part. The praise and the adoration. And these are, these are the words we say about something. We give it praise. We give it honor. We give it glory. And that's the, the formal part that we do here in church. We come in, we sing songs. We sing great songs and say great things about God in our songs. We say our prayers and we thank Him and we give Him praise in our prayers. We talk about how great God is. We read from His Word. We talk about all the wonderful things that God has done for us and the wonderful promises He he has made. And and that's an essential part of worship is is, is the praise, is the talking and saying the good things about. And we do that with anything we love, anything that we're enamored with. You know, that's why grandparents talk about their grandkids so much, right? Right? It's because they love them so much. When you love something a lot, you just start talking about it and you praise it. I mean, what's the first thing you do when you see a good movie? Hey, you got to see this movie I saw. It's great. What's the first thing a, a young man does when he falls in love? He writes poems and songs, or, or at least he attempts to. And then he reads it and he hides it away, never look at it again. But they do it because they're filled with a sense of adoration. And once we're filled with that, it comes out as praise and glory. We magnify God when we praise Him, when we make Him central, we make Him important. And when we do these things, we talk about it. There's other ways to magnify God. There's other ways to make Him bigger and make Him bigger in our hearts. One of the most important ways we magnify God is to honor Him is to give God our honor and respect. And, and, and a lot of this is just a heart matter, is that we, we hold them in, in deep respect and honor in our hearts, but there's active ways in our life that we can honor and respect God. And, and the cool thing is that he's told us how we can honor and respect him. In the Ten Commandments, he said, don't take my name in vain. And that's a key way that we honor and respect God, is, is how we use his name is every time we say the word God or Lord or Jesus or Christ, we're not using it to express frustration or anger or even happiness. We're only doing it when we intentionally mean to bring Him honor and glory. That Every time His name comes from our lips, it is used with honor and respect. We honor God also by keeping His, His, His Sabbath. He's told us, I've given you a day to honor me. When you're not going to get involved in work, you're not going to involve yourself in, in, your, in your daily life and your busyness, you take this day and you honor me. 
And when we respect and use the Sabbath as He intended to worship and to rest and not work, that is a way that we honor God. That is the way we worship Him and keep Him central in our life. We also worship and honor by praying to God, by bringing our needs to Him. We honor God by thanking Him, by remembering to thank Him and, and to, to acknowledge that He is the reason we have anything good in our life. We honor God by obeying Him. We honor God by, by bringing Him our tithes and offerings, how we honor Him with our wealth. These are all ways that we worship God. These are all ways that we keep God central in our life and remember to give Him the honor and the respect that He deserves. So what about Christmas? How can we worship Christ fully at Christmas? How can we then make sure we honor, respect, and we magnify the Lord here in this season? To keep Him central and worship Him fully. You know what's great about Christmas is we're already doing lots of stuff. Right? We're, we're giving presents. We're going to parties. We're decorating our house. we got lights all over the place. Right? We're doing, we're doing all this stuff for Christmas. But what are we really doing it for? Is it for Christmas? Now, I know Christmas means the Christ Mass, but the word Christmas has, has, has been taken and distorted so much, it really doesn't mean what it means anymore. Sometimes when we say we're doing it for Christmas, we're just doing it for this holiday where we're celebrating something out there, but we don't always remember what. But how deliberate are you when we do these things at Christmas that we're worshiping Christ with them? How deliberate are we? How intentional are we in all of our celebrations in making it about Christ? Are we remembering that this is a celebration, not of Christmas, it's a celebration of Jesus? And what we need to be is deliberate and intentional that when we go to a party or hosting a party, we're thinking and, and be, keeping in the forefront of our mind or even sometimes saying out loud, this party is a party to celebrate Christ. We hang decorations up. We, this is decoration I'm hanging up today is a decoration to celebrate Christ. These lights that I'm putting out are lights to celebrate Jesus Christ. This present that I'm giving you here today is a present to celebrate the Son of God being born into the world. It's making our worship a worship of Jesus Christ. You know, a big part of worshiping Him is worshiping Him here in church, which you can kind of call the formal worship. But this is not enough. To do it just in here, this is the only place we worship Christ. It is not enough. We must worship Him with our life. In Romans, the Apostle Paul said, Present yourselves as a living sacrifice to God. He said, Make your life your worship. Make your life the sacrifice that you bring to the Lord. Make Jesus your chief value. 
Allow the love and the honor of God to order every moment of your life. I mean, all of our life. How we work, how we eat, what we do with our money, our relationships. We should make this our mission statement in life. is to love and honor Christ with everything in our life. And we can make this our mission statement for the holidays. To love and honor Christ with this celebration. To make everything we do first and foremost a celebration of Jesus. If you want to make Christmas about Christ, it begins with worship. It begins with letting Christ into your heart and once there, giving Him the throne of your life. It means loving Christ first and foremost, praising Him with your words, honoring Him with your obedience, and serving Him with your life. This should be our mission statement this Christmas. To make everything we do this season Worship Jesus. Every present we give, every song we sing, every party we attend, every light we put in place to be done in honor of Christ. We need to make it our mission this Christmas that with every piece of tinsel that we hang on the tree, that we do it that our Emmanuel, that our God would be magnified. Not just with our words, but with our life. To God be all the glory forever and ever. Amen.